Hello and welcome to a live Kerfefe break episode on Deep Program with Carrie Smith. Today is Monday, April 25th. I just got home from the Better Discourse Conference and Lukenbach, my husband's showing Lukenbach. So uh, we're just going to have fun today and see what happens. Have a fun, casual show. I'm very excited about my guest. Uh, her name is Queen Josie. She's on YouTube and on Twitter. She's someone who always has really insightful things to say online. I've wanted to talk to her for a while. So I figured I would bring her on today and we can all get to know her better. Hello, Josie. Hi, how are you? I'm good. The delay is the delay is much better. I mean, it's still there, but it's much better on your phone than your Wi-Fi. So um, you were someone I just recently became aware of on Twitter because you always have these really insightful takes. Um, I think for a while I saw you were called Queen Josie, Queen of Liberty. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and your uh, political beliefs? Sure. So I got into Twitter um, December of 2017 um, and I had a different screen name. I was uh, the redheaded libertarian. And oh, that's you. <laughs> uh, you're the same person. Okay. <laughs> so I, uh, I ended up getting banned, you know, never knew why just banned me one day. Um, fought to get it back, never got it back. So I was like in uh, May of last year, I was like, you know, I'm just going to rebrand. I'm just going to rebrand. I'm going to you know start what? over. Totally you know different. What's funny? I like the old you too. I didn't know you were the same person. <laughs> oh, did we lose you? Is she frozen, guys? I don't know. Let's see. If you can hear me, Josie, you might have to log out and log back in. Wait, it looks like there you are. There you are. Oh. We're, we're good. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so I uh, I was the redhead libertarian. I became Queen Josie in May of last year, and I like this account so much better. It's I don't feel like um, with the redheaded libertarian, I was kind of um, boxed into a certain persona, and I felt like I had to keep this act up with it. I guess um, that wasn't really me. And with Queen Josie, it was just a place where I could just be silly and have fun with people and. I'm enjoying it so much more, but yeah, I got into Twitter because I needed to find like-minded people and I was having a lot of trouble with that in Massachusetts. I've since moved to Florida and that's oh, much easier. It's easier there. So what were you, what did you feel boxed into? Was it the libertarian part of your name or what? Oh, you have a delay on your side now. Can you say that oh, again? Okay. Did you feel boxed into being in that libertarian world? Was it was that the part of the identity that was sort of? Yes, I'm a classic libertarian. I'm a Ron Paul libertarian. And the party I never really affiliated myself with. Um, I got into libertarianism when Ron Paul ran in 2012. Um, but it shifted and made a hard shift into this um, this this area where I felt like they were recruiting people as opposed to living by uh, property rights and self-ownership and um, non-aggression. And it just, I felt like they were recruiting people. It got kind of like, um, like they were selling themselves as opposed to uh, living by their standards. Mm -hmm. uh, the type of libertarian I am is more like Mises caucus, um, which is, you know, fighting to have any say within the party. So I just wanted to step away from that, um, you know, and just be myself. And um, 
be myself politically without having to compete essentially the whole uh, libertarian sphere competes with each other for like the best libertarian and it was just it was it wasn't my thing so yeah I became Queen Josie. <laughs> how do you define libertarianism for people who ask you and and how did you come to feel like that represented your beliefs in the best way I was always politically homeless. Um, I wasn't a Republican and I wasn't a Democrat. And I didn't really think there was anything in between. And I found something that wasn't in between. It felt like it was forward, you know? So it wasn't like the way libertarianism was marketing itself was we're fiscally conservative and we're socially liberal, which is libertarianism. But I felt like that wasn't quite what I was looking for. So I would define it as... Um, personal responsibility, accountability, property rights, self-ownership, and non-aggression. Those are the five kind of principles that I define libertarianism on. I call myself a Ron Paul libertarian because when it comes to really combative issues within the libertarian party, like abortion and borders, I'm very against abortion as Ron Paul was, and I believe that borders are an extension of property rights as Ron Paul did. Um, and those are where really disjointed pieces of libertarianism at this point. So are you, uh, you're personally pro-life, are you also politically pro-life? You think abortion should, should be outlawed? Um, I believe the way Ron Paul did is it should be unthinkable. It shouldn't be illegal. It should be unthinkable. Like it's not even something you'd ever even consider doing, um, you know, unless like you were going to die. Um, right now, at, 1% are due to, you know, rape and horrible issues like that. But the majority of abortion is, um, it's, it's a convenience. People use I think you're exactly right. It is used as a convenience. And um, that's really interesting to me. I don't, I don't think I've met very many libertarians who are, um, who, who think that it, it should not be legal. So, and I, I don't actually know my beliefs on, on that issue have been changing so much in the past couple of years. Um, I don't think I could define them right now. I do think it's immoral. I think it's murder. Um, at the same time, I've always sort of, it's that issue of if I believe the government should have the right to tell a woman what to do with her body. And I'm somewhat conflicted on that. And people who watch, uh, my interviews and stuff, I think they know that my, my beliefs have kind of been evolving on it. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. Are there a lot of other libertarians who are, who believe that it should be illegal? Yes. It's, it's really split down the middle, uh, depending on, um, depending on your beliefs on property rights with your body and self-ownership with your body. And it, you know, it comes down to the science of it at that point. Like there's two sets of DNA, like this is not your body. You made a choice. It comes down to personal responsibility and accountability. Like 95, 99, 98, really high up there percent of women made a choice to not track their cycle, made a choice to not take birth control, made a choice to not use a condom, made a choice to not take the day after pill, you know, made a, made a series of choices that led to a point where, now they have to um, make a choice for a person growing inside of them. Well, have you ever considered, called yourself a feminist? Um, 
No, I, I'm, I'm more feminine than feminist. Um, I think <laughs> when I like, I appreciate some feminism, earlier feminism, like first wave feminism, I appreciate that. Um, third wave, absolutely not. Absolutely, absolutely not. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm, I'm very, I'm more feminine, I'm more traditionalist um, than feminist, I would say. Yeah. I've, I've, I think that, well, I've, I used to call myself a feminist and mm -hmm. I was a third wave feminist mm -hmm. and I've since come to question or even outright oppose a lot of those beliefs I held back then. But I think we're at a place where um, we're seeing cultures being dramatically changed in some very negative ways because of feminism. Is that something you can speak to or that you've noticed or have opinions on? Yeah, I've, I've noticed that um, it's funny to see them eat their own too, like feminism when it splits into turf versus, um, you know, non-turf feminists. Yes. <laughs> you know, so, so it's, it, it, you, you see it because it's constantly dividing, almost like a cell, just constantly dividing, dividing here, dividing there. And the entire, it's, it's completely disjointed on um, the left side of the spectrum now at this point with things like feminism and trans rights and... Uh, gay rights, big one, very disjointed there too. Um, so when it comes to feminism, um, I I have really controversial views. <laughs> That's okay. What are they? <laughs> so I'm I'm big into um, 1776 founding fathers. That's kind of where I do it. So what they had said about voting rights, okay is that property owners should be the ones to vote because they have skin in the game. And that's kind of property ownership and uh, service are two areas where I've been like, you know what, I think that that makes sense, you know, to have voters vote if they serve their country or if they own property within their country. Um, otherwise you have a bunch of, you know, people who can be bought essentially. Um, mm -hmm. So when it comes to, you know, people are like, oh, you know, today's 19th amendment day and I'm like, I believe women could own, if they owned property or served in the military, that'd be, you know, they could, of course, vote, you know, but at that point, I'm just like, mm. like that's, that's, I had never thought of this until the past year or so. You've probably read the Anti-Federalist Papers. Have you? I just came working, across those. Read the Federalist Papers. I'm working my way through the Anti-Federalist Papers now. Yeah. So that was my first time reading about how what you're saying, I didn't even know that there was this debate at the founding of our country where they were trying to decide um, what's in the best interest of the people. Is it to allow everyone to vote, which it seems we're raised in such a way that I think we just automatically assume that's always the best, right? Like democracy, always let everyone vote. Um, but they were actually arguing about it and saying, on the other hand, if you allow people with no, as you put it, skin in the game to vote, then they're easily bought by politicians who are like, we'll give you this, we're going to give you this. And, you know, instead of voting based on securing your own property, your own rights and working towards owning property and, and you know, your own uh, individualism, your own liberty, you're more working this other way towards, this is the argument anyway, that you're kind of working towards just becoming uh, a, a paid for vote for a different party. You're almost owned in a way. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. That's all right. When you 
when you have nothing, no, no skin in the game, you have nothing to lose. You have nothing to risk. You only have like how, you know, what can you do for me? You know? And whereas, um, if, if you do have skin in the game, if you have served your country, if you do own property, then there's a level of risk that you have to consider personal risk for you, risk for your family, risk for your interests. Um, so yeah, that's that's how I feel about that, and it's really controversial. I got a lot of people mad at me the first time that I spoke about it. I was going to say, I bet sometimes <laughs> I joke about uh, women voting Polish and how things have kind of gotten worse since we got the vote. <laughs> Not that I don't think we should have the vote. I'm just saying yeah. things look. Well, we're at, it's we're never. <laughs> no, we're never not have the vote you know so it's just it's a way to troll people in a way because it makes them start thinking like because you know you question things that you've always believed and that's what i love doing i love making people question things that they've always thought to be true you know yeah. and now well you know here's another way to look at it and that's my favorite thing to do on here so what made you decide to start speaking and decide to on social media even given though you know that you're going to get a lot of flack and there's going to be people who are attacking you or, or criticizing you what what compelled you to start putting your ideas online i was never supposed to get popular <laughs> i wasn't supposed to get popular once i wasn't supposed to get popular twice and it happened twice um, I just wanted to find, you know, 20 or 30 like-minded people to talk with, like just, you know, I, I never meant to have be, be somebody that people know, you know, and it just happened and it happened two times. So, um, I realized I'm like, okay, well maybe, maybe I, I speak to more people than I thought I do with my views. Maybe, maybe I should try to get those out there, you know, go on podcasts and, you know, just try to get more people kind of thinking in this way, because there's a lot of people who are politically homeless, who might think they're a libertarian, who might think they're a Democrat, who might think they're a conservative. And there's like an area for us, you know, and we don't exactly need a label, um, you know, which is why I kind of broke away from my my own label. Um, so so it was just the, the people that I was speaking to be, just grow and grow and grow. So I just want to I feel like I might be doing some good. And I just if that's the case, I want to keep keep doing that and a way to keep doing that is um i kind of live by the, the the four agreements i don't know if you've heard of this no um, i don't think so yeah it's a series of um kind of rules to like mentally live by like you don't take anything personally you try not to you, you try to be immaculate with your words it, it's, it's a series of things you should definitely like look into it it's but what does it is i i don't take anything personally. And you have to unlearn a lot of indoctrination and a lot of your life has to be unlearned for you to do that. Because we grew up, especially women, we grew up to take things personally. We um, were supposed to take things personally, consider them and you know reform ourselves. But when you stop taking things personally, there's this freedom that you have from caring about people criticizing you. And yes. I that's how that's how you you grow you know better way to grow than to grow by people telling you that's wrong yeah you're making me think of there's this very you know famous feminist saying that i always heard in the third wave feminist movement which is the personal is political and i think that became popular during second wave feminism but uh it, it's sort of meant to tell you i think it's part of that whole social justice idea that that your emotions and feelings should lead you rather than 
reason. Mm. And, yeah. and that whatever is personally offensive to you is, is somehow you need to go out into the world and enact change to fix your personal feelings. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm too, I'm highly logical um, with a lot of reason. I don't, I don't lead with my emotions at all. Um, and it's not that common in women to be like that. So, so, but within like libertarian adjacent women, I found a lot of women that are like that. And I think it's more common than we, we think, but women are expected to be emotional. Like there's a map that you can find and it's, if only women voted for um, the 2016 election and it was something like 420 electoral votes for Hillary Clinton, you know, and it's, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, and not that she was good. It's not that Donald Trump was much better. It's just that, that women and, and same thing with Joe Biden. It was the same thing, like the 400 plus votes for Joe for uh, electoral votes for Joe Biden. And thinking it's not that these guys are good. It's that these people appeal to emotion before they appeal yes. to law and, and economics and, you know, things that I find important that I think about. Um, so I think a lot of the reason trouble finding people like me in Massachusetts, it's very emotional driven there. Um, and I'm just not, <laughs> yeah, I'm not psychopath, yeah. but <laughs> I just always, I, you know, highly logical. I think part of that, um, sort of people taking things personally has to do with, uh, a lot of people mistake their ideas or their opinions, their opinions, their beliefs for their identity. Mm, and yeah. And I used to do that. And social justice encourages you to do that. And so they they're sort of um if therefore if you attack if you attack one of their opinions or one of their ideas I, or beliefs, yeah, they feel like you're personally attacking them and and they because that's who they are. And so there's there's somehow I think we need to get better at helping people and maybe maybe especially women separate who they are from what ideas they're holding. Yes, yes, yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, maybe that can be fourth wave feminism. <laughs> yes. Can you? You're also you're a mother, and I saw one of your recent posts. Uh, you were talking about this one part of social justice that has now started uh, victimizing sort of putting uh, fat people in this oppressed category and kind of holding it up as um, virtuous. And and you sort of address that in a roundabout way. You posted a picture of yourself and you're like, look, I've had kids. I work out. Mm -hmm. It's not that it's not that hard. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Is that too controversial? Can you talk a little about no. what's happening culturally no. with fat positivity? I'm thin shamed all the time. It's kind of where people go after me about the way my body looks because I have a really prominent bone structure. You can see my collarbones, you can see my cheekbones. It's just the way my body is built. Um, so I'm always thin shamed, like, oh, she must be anorexic. You know, and people will throw that around and that's a horrible disease. That's a sad, horrible disease if you've ever known anyone who suffered from it. And it's just thrown around like nothing now. And we can't really do that with, you know, people who are obese, you know, because that's like, that's, that's controversial. Like you can't shame a fat person. They can't help it. But there's an idea that, you know, skinny people can help it. And like the whole, you can't, you can't be racist against a white person. It's like the same thing with fat and skinny person. Like, oh, you can't, you can't shame a skinny person. They're skinny. 
you know, they have this inherent privilege. Oh, can you see me? I cut out for a second. Yep, you're back. We're working through it. Okay, am I back? Yeah. Am I back? Can you see me? I can see you. Yeah. Perfect. All right, I'm back. Okay, so um, I had gotten particularly I every time I have a post go semi viral, um, it, it brings in you know the liberals, or the leftists, and they start body shaming me for whatever. They'll just look at some. They'll they'll see something they think it's an easy target. I don't take things personally, you know. So, but they'll see like that I'm skinny, and they'll be like, oh well, you know, the anorexic person would know, mm. you know, like that. Um, so that, so I, I've never, I've never addressed it until that day because I just ignored it. I don't take it personally, but I'm like, you know what? I do speak for a lot of people and a lot of people relate to me and there could be somebody else dealing with this, what I deal with. So I'm just going to address it in a way that I can address it, you know, like in a way that other people can hear maybe how they could address it in the future if they need to. Um, so I posted a picture, which I don't post any pictures of, you know, my body, like, I just don't do it. It's not a thing I feel like I need to do. I did. I posted one. I was, had a hula hoop. <laughs> and it was just yeah. a candid shot from my birthday party. And I'm like, this is what I look like. I'm like, I'm not anorexic. I'm, I have a healthy but I have a healthy build. Um, I've had three kids. I take care of myself. I work out. I eat well. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I make a lot of really good choices. And you can be like that too. You know, and there's no reason to thin shame people. There's no reason to fat shame people. You just have to care about yourself. And try to put the work in for it, you know, and I, I'm highly logical. So I think like, you know, calories, that's, that's a unit of measurement. Like that's, you put calories in, you take calories out and you're going to lose weight, you know, like, <laughs> and it's just logical to me. Um, so I shared that and that went, that ended up going semi-viral. Um, so, you know, it's, so I did realize that there are a lot of people that, that's, that yeah. deal with that, that might not know how to address it. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's one of the ones I saw. I was like, Oh, she's going there. She's talking about it. Yep. Let's see. I'm, I'm going to put a couple super chats on the screen. If you don't mind. Um, this is from cheeky mayor. Thank you. Cheeky mayor. She says I'm with Josie personal responsibility on a number of choices before you make the choice to kill a baby. Yes. Good, good way to view that. Matthew Hammond says it's not Josie's fault that she cannot eat gluten. Maybe they should lay off the carbs instead of shaming her. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm, I have celiac disease. I didn't find that out until uh, my late 20s. Oh. Uh, Francis Montgomery. Hey, Carrie, it was awesome to meet at the Better Discourse event. It was awesome. Uh, Josie, have you, do you know the Myth Informed guys they put on this festival? Yes. Yes, I love them. And I've hung out with them at CPAC in the past. They've invited me to speak at, um, at the better discourse events. I just haven't been able to work it out. Like I just moved to Florida, you know, it's there's yeah. the last, the one before that my daughter had gotten sick with her. And um, so I just never, we've never been able to work it out, but I hope that works out. I hope that if they come to Florida, there's no way that I can miss it. You know, like I'm, I'm just really optimistic that we can get together and I can speak on their stage. Yeah. They seem to be doing them now almost every six months. And and they just get better. There's more people coming. There's people coming from all over the country. And um, Francis, it was nice to nice to see you. Um, it's also it's just nice to have that in person, those kind of in person meetups with people. Because I know a lot of us have formed all these different communities and fellowships online. But there's something about just hanging out with people in real life 
and and realizing like I'm not the only person who has some of these wrong opinions. You know, there's lots of us and we're conservatives and we're liberals and and it's even inspiring because they have left they have some leftists who come and do the panels, which is hard for yeah. them to get, but yeah. Yeah. God bless the leftists that want to come do that. Like that speaks highly to their character because most of them are like, nope, just not doing it. Not yeah, gonna most, do it. They're all evil. Most You're all I don't want to associate. Yeah, exactly. So if they come to um, Florida, like, I mean, Orlando or something like that, I can totally get on board. Awesome. Matthew Hammond, I love Josie and Figaro. Laundry is okay. Landry is okay, too. <laughs> Have we gotten video of Figaro since the stream started? No, I'm not sure where he is. Landry's in the room. But Figaro, I think, is with uh, MJ. She's having a bad day. Let's see. I think I got all of them. If mm -hmm. I missed one, oh wait, here's one. One last one. Oh, Ch Channel Julio, hello. He says, if I'm a libertarian and I develop property on a beachfront, would that make me literally Hitler? <laughs> libertarian, I develop property on a beachfront. I think in order to own beachfront property, you have to be, um, you have to be uh, very vocal about the climate. That's all the people that I know. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. It all for themselves and scare you over the the rising water. Yeah. Okay. Oh. So here's a here's a question from Muxikins. Thank you, Muxikins. Says I have to pay income tax, but if I don't own my property, I shouldn't be able to vote. Can you please justify your reasoning here, Josie? Yeah, you shouldn't have to pay income tax. Income tax is unconstitutional. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was never rat properly ratified. They pushed it through. Welcome to Florida, Welcome Josie. To Florida. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, speaking of income tax, I haven't even considered that before. There's too many things I haven't given a lot of thought to yet, and I'm trying to work my way through them. But I have started to notice the way all these things I used to just sort of take as take for granted is like, well, this is the way things work. This is the way they're supposed to work. I've started to question a lot of those things now. And and I've noticed they're at they're always adding. It government's always growing. They're always adding new taxes. And one of the recent ones that it's really bothering me is in the infrastructure bill. They want to impose this new tax for prop people who own uh their own vehicle. So if you are a car owner, they want you to pay like a dollar per mile. Tax we have. Mm -hmm. What's it called? excise tax. It was in Massachusetts. I had to pay, I, uh, like for instance, I have a 20, I had a 2019 car in 2020. I had to pay like $250 tax on a vehicle I've already paid taxes on an excise tax. It's, it's something that they can get away with as a state. I don't see how they could get away with it on a, um, on a federal level though. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. it's making me rethink all of, all of my opinions about the function of government <laughs> um, added that I absolutely am having a lot of trouble, like even wrapping my head around. It's the unrealized capital gains tax on your house. Okay. What which, is that? Oh, your house gained equity. You have to pay taxes on the equity of your house. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we in Texas, they have a, they have a, basically if we, if you sell the house within a period of three years, since you 
resided in it as your primary residence since you were in it, yeah. then you don't have to pay a tax on the equity. But if it's after, let's say you, let's say you move, you own two houses. Let's say you move out of your primary residence, you, you buy another one and you rent that first one out. If it's been mm -hmm. more than three years since it was your primary residence, then yes, when you sell it, they're going to tax you on it. That's interesting. You know what I love about Florida? It's a homestead state. So we don't have to pay property taxes on the entire worth of your state, but it's something you have to like go through and apply and apply on. So I'm that gonna, might I'm be looking another, into that. That might be another reason why people are moving there. Um, we've got another chat for you. Russell says, hi, not Figaro. Hope MJ gets better. Give Landry the goodest boy and the other animals some pets for me. I will. Thank you guys. Um, so, so I also wanted to ask you since we haven't talked before, um, given your perspective and it sounds like you've been libertarian for a while and you've put a lot of thought into what it is that you believe in a way that I don't think a lot of people do. Um, what do you think about where we find ourselves at culturally currently? And, and I guess politically too. But what do you think? I, I talk to a lot of people who, where everybody's like, uh, what pill are you? Are you red pilled? Are you black pilled? Are you white pilled? You know, where do you think, what, what's happening to the country around us and where are we heading? Depending on what facet I'm looking at, I'm red pilled, I'm white pilled, and I'm black pilled. Um, so when it comes to, I, I believe that states' rights are what can save the Republic, uh, the 10th Amendment. Um, I believe the founders put a lot of fail-safes into the Constitution to be able to, to, to keep it from being taken over, which is actively happening right now with um, the establishment in, in charge of the country. They are actively trying to kill our republic. Um, but I believe that states' rights can save that. And there I'm white-pilled. Um, you know, living in Florida, it's even... It, it's made things so much more clear to me, um, especially looking in on my blue state now, the way things are run there, I, they're not going to last much longer. But, um, you know, if you want freedom, it's not going to be on a federal level. Uh, you're going to have to go to a state and find the way that you want to live. Um, so, so yeah. And when it comes to like red pill, I'm probably going to vote Republican for the rest of this chapter of life because the democrats are very very dangerous but it's not just any republican because liz cheney is dangerous Mitt romney is dangerous mm -hmm. um you know they're, they're not good just because they're red i just know i'm never gonna vote blue again ever um so so that's, that's what about what about someone like tulsi she's the last uh democrat i voted for yes yes tulsi i actually donated to but she's the only, I mean, aside from Ron Paul, she's the only person I've ever donated to. I feel like she, there's a lot of truth to what she's saying. The only thing that concerns me is her history with the WEF. Um, that's a little concerning to me. Um, I don't, I, I think she got into it without knowing what she was getting into. Um, and I think your stead with them runs out every six years. So she's about to run out with her relationship with them anyway. But um, yeah, that's my only issue with Tulsi. But I, I like her. She's a, we have all the same views. And what's interesting about her, and I made this point a few weeks ago on Twitter, she um, was the last one at the debates when she was running for president to use that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. 
All the other Democrats removed rare from it. It's safe and legal now. They, they don't put rare in it. Um, and she's the only one who was doing that. And now she's she's even evolved in her beliefs that it's, you know, like there should be a limit, like a first first trimester limit, you know, so so we're seeing her evolve in there. You know, she's very against war the way that I am. Um, she's very small government. You know, I, I like a lot of her beliefs. So if uh, those ties with the WEF, once they're done, I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable, like, um, you know, knowing that she's out of it and not attached to them anymore. Yeah. It's the World um, Economic Forum, if anybody. The World Economic, yeah. When you were saying WEF, I was thinking of the um, WWE, what is it, or the World <laughs> the Wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, WEF, I realized people that might not get back. Yeah, it's the World Economic Forum. It's Klaus Schwab. It's all the millionaires and billionaires who run the world. And she's associated with it. Um, you know, you can find her on their website. And that's, a little unnerving to me, but she got in, you know, a while ago and she hasn't gone the way that everybody else went. Um, another one you can see in there is Dan Crenshaw's related to the WEF, but then there's also, um, uh, what's his name? Governor of, uh, of California. He's WEF. Literally like anybody. Yep. <laughs> Gavin Newsom. That's it. Um, so anybody you see with, you know, contra, like, in the spotlight in controversy or WEF, I feel like you might find, um, what's his name? Yeah. All these Dems, I keep forgetting their names. They're not that relevant to me. Um, transportation secretary, Pete, Pete Buttigieg. I feel like he might be WEF. Um, yeah, you can go through their list and see, but they make me uncomfortable WEF. Yeah. So yeah, once Tulsi's kind of away from, away from it, I'll feel better <laughs> about what relating about, to her and, now that you're in Texas, what do you think about DeSantis? Are, are you someone who wants him to run for president or would you rather keep him as governor? Oh, I love, I love DeSantis as governor. I don't want him to go anywhere because I don't know what would take over. Yeah. I would I'm that, perfectly like that. I believe we're going to get saved on a state level, not on a federal level. So the federal government could keep running its establishment however they want, because I want to keep my governor. <laughs> If he goes somewhere, I mean, if you look at when he won, the guy he was going against, like Florida would have gone the way of um, California and New York. You know, it's very important to keep him here and to keep Florida free. And I don't believe he said, and somebody had asked him and he said, no, he's like, I'm too busy, like getting, you know, CRT out of schools in Florida right now to think about that. Um so I want him to stay put. I'm, and that's that's unpopular because everybody else wants him to run the country. But the president doesn't have that much power. It's the Senate and the it's Congress that has all the power. The Senate and the representatives um, that have all the power. So yeah. I'm I'm with you. I think if we had a governor in Texas like DeSantis, I would want him to stay put. Um, and, and my mind has also been opened in the past year or so towards the idea of um, of a possible Texit happening at some point. I know there's a lot of people in my chat who don't like that idea. That's okay. Uh, I'm just open to it is what I'm saying. And, a, and, a, and a, uh, what do you think about that? What do you think about Flexit? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm open to it. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. If they... Because it's going to be saved on a state level, not on a not on a federal level. So however that's going to happen, whether they stay a part of the republic or if they break away from the republic, um, I support it. What about people who say, 
have you ever encountered people who tell you, you know, it's, it's illegal. You can't, you can't do that. That's secession. You can't do that. Oh, oh yeah. And that's the thing because it's, it'd be really hard to, to get around the 14th amendment and make this because the reconstruction amendments essentially made secession impossible. It's not, it's not impossible. There are ways to do it. You just need to have, it's take a lot of time and you just need to have the smartest group of people on it that can find every loophole and, you know, and then somebody to rule it, but it, it's, it's really hard to do. Um, but it's not impossible to do. The 14th amendment. I'm pretty ignorant. Can you tell me a little about that one? Yeah. So the 14th amendment, um, that was, so the 14th, 15th and 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments were the Reconstruction Amendments. They were what was put in place after the Civil War so that we never have a Civil War again. So, you know, they they got rid of, they they abolished the slavery and they essentially made it, if, if you try to, if you try to overthrow the country, you can't run for office is another one, you know, and then there was voting. So those were the three ways that they made, um, that, that they, instilled in America to never have a civil war again. Um, seceding wouldn't take a civil war. Um, it wouldn't be trying to overthrow everybody else. It'd be trying to leave, um, trying to leave. Um, more like Brexit. Um, mm, yes. So they're not trying to hurt anybody else. They just want to separate. Um, and so that would be fought with um, in a lot of different ways. And it wouldn't be fought with a physical violent war. It would be fought with uh, taxation. It would be fought with um, trade. Trade would be the big one. Like, okay, we're just going to cut off our trade then. You know, you're just, you're on your own. Uh, supply chain. Um, there's other ways that they would do it to make it less appealing um, and hurt the people who support it in that way. Uh, they probably wouldn't go so far as to charge them with treason or anything like that. But that would be the way to do it. I'm going to read just a couple more of these. And thank you guys for hanging out with us and bearing with us with a little bit of a lag. Uh, it's not too bad. Now, Fracky Longtime says the recent fight over masks on planes is proof that bureaucrats will hunger for more power. Yes. Uh, and then Francis, Francis again, Francis Montgomery says, according to Democrats, men can now get pregnant. Then does that mean that men can now voice their opinions on abortion? Oh, well, people can get pregnant, but only women voice their opinions. But what's a woman? Who the hell knows? Who knows? <laughs> it's so circular now. It's, it doesn't. I'm at the point where if people haven't woken up now, I'm kind of like, what is it going to take? Because mm -hmm. none of these things make sense. Like you, you just illustrated it perfectly. It's like people can get pregnant, men can get pregnant, but men don't get to have opinions on abortion. Only women do. But what is a woman? We can't define it. Like it just. Other thing ever happens. Um, Pre-op trans pre-op trans men do not get put into men's prisons. Only pre-op trans women get put into women's prisons. Oh, I didn't even know that. And I was, I was just on a panel at the better yeah. discourse conference. We were talking about this issue and we were talking about uh, trans women who are biological men uh, getting put into, into women's mm -hmm. prisons and, and what the solution should be. And 
I didn't, I didn't know that about. And yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh yeah. It's because it's not safe. Cause if they put a pre-op trans man into a man's prison, they, that trans man will absolutely wind up pregnant, wind up raped. They know that, but they put, they, they, they push forward their narrative. Cause we would have heard about that. If that was happening, pre-op trans men in men's prisons, we would have heard about that because there would have been a huge controversy. Like you're putting a, a natural woman into a man's prison. Um, but they, they still will put pre-op trans women into women's prisons, you know, where they still have all their reproductive organs and women are getting pregnant, you know? So that's a double standard there. And that's not safe either. What, what are the, when you're saying trans men, you mean biological women, are they going into women's prisons? Yeah. So they, yeah. So biological women will go into the women's prisons, but not a case where they're putting a pre-op. I'm saying like pre-op for sure. I'm not sure about post-op, um, but pre-op women who still have their reproductive organs um, aren't going into men's prisons. Mm-hmm. Not happening. Yeah. Can you tell but me? They, um, they don't. I know. I... There's just a little oh. bit of a problem with your audio now, but we'll see. It keeps going in and out, but. We'll see. I've got one, one, two more questions for you. You're frozen. Let's see if you come back. You guys, say a prayer if you pray that Josie's audio comes back. And if you don't, do a push-up that it comes back. <laughs> if you can hear me, Josie, you might need to um, log out and log back in. We're working with it. Oh, you guys are still there. Yeah. Sorry about this. I was going to ask her about education in Florida. Oh, let's see. There she is. Yay, you're back. Hey. <laughs> okay. So oh, and I see. Bad, but we just have drops every now and then, which I guess is. Yeah. Bad. That's not too bad. I see your puppy. Yeah, it's Landry. Oh, um, just. Little Hi, little baby. Hello there. I'm surprised we don't have issues on my end because there's a yeah. terrible storm blowing through here right now. Oh, wow. So, yeah. I might have to put him out. He's asking pretty fiercely to go out. I hear you. Okay, well, I've I've only got one <laughs> okay, more question well, for you then because I know you have yeah. to go anyway. Okay. Um, I, I just wanted to know what your opinions are on the state of public education and whether or not you homeschool. Okay. Um, I homeschooled for a while up in Massachusetts. Um, I have my kids in school right now in charter and, um, hello. And I am completely behind Ron DeSantis's parental rights bill. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, and the schools here I've already found are so much better, so much better than they were in a blue state. Um, there's things that I had to deal with in blue states with like gender identity and that sort of stuff revolving my children that I just don't have to deal with anymore. Um, yeah. That's great. Hi. Landry's <laughs> Hi, Landry. Usually it's my dog <laughs> who's coming in and interrupting. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I had not seen him all weekend because I was at the conference and then um, yeah. with my husband's show and I got home mm-hmm. right before we started and he was just 
freaking out. You know how they are. Like you can leave for 10 yeah. minutes and that you come back and they're like, oh my God, you're back. But then they also are even more emotional if it's been a few days. He was like that. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, Josie, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I, um, I want to have you back on another time when there's not as many connection issues and stuff and we can do like a full sit down interview. That would be awesome. I would yeah. love that. But it's so nice to meet you. And I, I didn't know. That's so funny. I, I also love the red-headed libertarian. I didn't know that was you. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. I, you're not the first one to say that. They're like, oh, my God, you're the same person. Yeah. yeah. yeah I remember you always did the uh, – didn't you always do the Pepperidge Farm remembers memes? Yes, I did. Yep. Pepperidge Farm remembers. Um, I did a yes. lot of um, uh, predictions. I, I predicted everything that happened <laughs> in 2020. Um, and that was always the joke is because I predicted in 2019, January 2019, I predicted it would be Joe Biden with Kamala Harris. And that was always my joke. I'm like, oh, that's why I got that's why I got banned. I knew too much. You knew too much. Well, so if people want to follow you and see some of your predictions, where can they find you online? Uh, Queen Josie at Twitter. And that's really the only one I use. I have an Instagram with the same name, but it's not political at all. It's just pictures of my pets and selfies and pies and all my other fun stuff that I do. So that's Queen K-W-E-E-N, not Q. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Have a nice day. I know we'll talk again. Cool. Soon. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Oh, thank you guys for bearing with us during the uh, connection issues. We're going to have Adam Coleman joining us soon to hang out. And uh, until then, I guess I could read some super chats. I'm not used to doing streams where I don't have conversations with, with someone else. So if this gets awkward, just it's okay. It's like my real life. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will tell you a little about the conference I can do that till he gets here. So I was just at the, the Better Discourse conference uh, in Fort Worth that's put on by Myth Informed. And if you guys want to watch any of the panels, uh, you can find that on the Myth Informed uh, YouTube page. They also have, um, uh, you can find them on Twitter at Myth Informed MKE. And you can go to their website at betterdiscourseevents.com. And I really, as I was saying to Josie, I really love what they're doing because they're managing to bring together people of all different beliefs um, atheists and Christians. They have people on the left and the right and come together and try to have these conversations or debates. Um, and so it's, it's very unusual. It's very unique. And if you know any lefties who like discussing, or if you are a lefty who likes discussing, you should get in touch with them because they always have trouble finding uh, people on the left. I see Adam is here. So I'm going to add him to the stream when he gets back. Oh, there he is. Hi, Adam. How are you? I can't hear you. Let me see. Unmute. That's right. Yep. There we go. There you are. <laughs> hey, thanks for coming to hang out today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me in the it's, short notice. Yeah, it's good time because I was just talking to uh, Queen Josie. Do you know her on Twitter? K-W-E-E-N? Yeah. We've had dialogue. I was actually watching. Oh, you were? Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. know she was the redheaded libertarian also. That was her old account. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, then you must be pretty consistent because I like both the, what you had to say on both accounts. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So I just got back from, I was telling folks, I was at the Myth and Forms Better Dis uh, Discourse Conference, which you should come to the next one. I hope they bring you in. Um, I hope so too. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, just, uh, it's great to hang out with people in person. And, uh, but because of that, then I had to scurry to get to my husband's show in Luckenbach. So I don't know anything that's happening in the news. I saw a weird photo of Trudeau and his wife on swings with masks on. That's really all I've seen in the news. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything going on that you want to talk about? Uh, I don't know if you heard about this Elon Musk guy. Um, <laughs> I did. Yes. What's, I don't know. The, I don't know anything new, though. What's happening with him? Uh, the last report I saw was that the board is basically, I don't know if they're forced to, but they're taking into consideration his his, uh, his purchase. Sorry, my dog is. So. Oh, look, this is the show of dogs. That's cool. <laughs> What's your dog's name? Uh, Bella. Bella. Hi, Bella. Let's see? Let's see if she, she's Hi, been like Bella. watching TV with me. And so I wanted to see if she like recognizes the screen. Oh my gosh. What a cute dog. I'm going to have a, I'm actually dog sitting a dog named Bella starting later today. So oh, there you go. common name. So what's happening? The board is going to have to take it into consideration his offer. Yeah, basically the, the way it's been indicated, it's like, it's, I don't want to say it, but almost like it's inevitable that he's going to purchase it. And so everybody me? freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking there's no way it's going to happen, but if it does, that's, that's going to make me start to change what I'm thinking about it. I did hear, I don't know if this is true. My husband was saying, I, I don't know if this was a joke or not, that he had, that Musk had tweeted something about how he would bring Trump back to Twitter. Is that true? I don't, I don't remember seeing that. Although, you know, I actually don't follow him, um, but so many other people follow him that you see stuff that he says, uh, but I, I haven't seen anything. What is your take on him? Do you think he's getting, he's actually getting red pilled, or is he just some kind of like wrestling figure who, almost like Trump, who's just trying to stay in the news? Or who is Musk? I, don't um, know. I think he's kind of like, kind of eccentric a little bit, but not overly eccentric. Um, I think he's just emotionally, he just goes with whatever sounds right. To be honest with you, and it's kind of interesting, I think we all take this assumption that Elon Musk is some right-wing conservative guy. I have no idea if he is. That's what's been put on him, but that's what's been put on regular middle-of-the-road people. <laughs> yeah, like both of us. Yeah. Um, so for all I know, he, he could be just a, your average middle-of-the-road liberal guy who, who likes free speech. Who sees nothing wrong with, with being able to express yourself and say things and make politically incorrect jokes and stuff like that. Um, so we have no idea, but the way that the woke works is anything to the right of what they're saying is right wing. So it's a yeah. pretty big wing these days. <laughs> it is. They're, it, I don't think they realize also that the more they do that, the more they're pushing people to become wrong thinkers, or at least to come out of the closet if they've already become wrong thinkers. Because if you're being called right wing anyway, and you know you're not, it's like, well, what else is there to be afraid of? Like, you're already calling me that. I may as well. They're, they are broadening the tent themselves, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. I think that when you, 
when you isolate yourself to a small group, and I, I, I keep trying to make this point that the woke aren't like the majority. You know, they're just in very particular positions and they were cultural influences. So they're always in our face, right? They're the casting directors for commercials. They're the uh, directors of movies, financiers for movies. They're the people who, um, actually, you know what? The music industry isn't that woke. When I think you don't about think it. so? Not, that, not really. But I think it's also because there's, there isn't that stranglehold of control in the music industry, like let's say in the nineties, right? Um, where being independent was kind of like, you were just broke, but now you can, you can be independent. There is that threat. I don't think the record labels have as much power as they used to. Um, and, and frankly, like hip hop isn't very woke <laughs> and hip hop is the number one genre. So uh, I don't know. Woke hip hop sounds kind of <laughs> funny. <laughs> I think it's ripe for parody, woke hip hop. Yeah, uh, yeah I know. I, I guess my opinion's a little biased on that just because when I used to work in entertainment, I, I did comedy, but my partner did music. And mm -hmm. so the, the part, the small little part of the music world that I know or knew has gotten very woke. You know, my, my old partner and a lot of the people I knew in that world have gone way over into wokeness. And um, that's pretty much all they talk about online. And and then in Austin, being so close to Austin, there's a big uh, musicians forum that a lot of the musicians are in on, on Facebook. And it's a thoroughly woke uh, forum. But I think that might just be the pockets that I'm in. And so maybe I don't have the big picture perspective. You could be right. I mean, it could be one of those things where the art form isn't woke, but the person is. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure there's music where they're talking about systemic racism, you know, for all I know. Um, but they're not in the mainstream, at least as of yet. Um, it would be weird seeing, like, Cardi B talking woke nonsense um, as she's, you know, shaking her ass and talking about wet ass stuff um <laughs> so i don't know we'll see we'll see if that actually happens especially like in, in hip-hop but um ultimately the point i was trying to make is that you know people like me and you and i i still believe it we are the majority average middle of the road people i'm like moderately to the right these days and um i think most people are kind of somewhere moderately to the left or moderately to the right and I think when, you know, people like us, we're kind of like in this Twitter bubble that's hyper political and we see like stark differences. Um, but the reality is most people aren't on Twitter and most people have other things better to do. You know, yeah. you just happen to be really into the culture war as, you know, what's going on and we want to be involved in it. And we want to discuss it. But um I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I, I think the tide is turning. I saw somebody, yeah. Lady Gravemaster, uh, put that out the other day that she thinks it's turning. I do too. I think we're at the mm -hmm. beginning, though. There's still a lot. It's going to get worse, but the tide is turning in 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 terms of being able to uh, freeze and isolate some parts of woke ideology and 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 I think uh, Chris Rufo and James Lindsay, if, if yourself, people have been very good at doing that and and. 
uh, memeing things like critical race theory, explaining what that is, um, and then talking about these the 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 Florida bill and and about grooming, about the indoctrination that's happening in classrooms. Mm-hmm. That grooming mm-hmm. meme has been very effective in helping to translate, put out the idea of what it is that's going on in classrooms. And so I think normies are starting to wake up and to, to use their voices. Um, I was really lucky. I got to, I got to talk to these two parents Mm -hmm. here in Texas in Grapevine Colleyville district. They have, Mm -hmm. I mean, they are so organized, Adam. It's a whole group of parents, they're grassroots. They came together and they've got this whole packet on their website um, that is, telling all the other parents, like, here's what's in the classroom. They have evidence. They have evidence of CRT being in teacher trainings. Um, they have excerpts from the sexually explicit books that are in the classrooms. And, and, and so they're really making a, a move. They're trying to, um, in the, the school board elections, the early voting just started today. And they've got the, they know the two people they're trying to unseat. They've got the two people they're supporting and they have plans for who they're going to run in the next election. And I'm like, this is the kind of organization that we need, but, and I think it's starting to happen all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of why, like when I'm, when I am on Twitter and someone says CRT isn't in schools <laughs> Yeah. at that point, I'm just like, I don't even want to talk to this person because <laughs> like there's been ample situations. Like to me that when you say stuff like that, either you're taping, you're taking a tribal line or you're not even asking questions. Like, why would so many people, I don't know, across this vast country in different states, different areas, in red states, for example, be saying the same thing and are outraged? And you want to put it all on Fox News or, you know, right-wing hysteria? I'm sorry, right-wing hysteria doesn't work that effectively. I, I, I can think of very few times since I've been, you know, paying attention to politics where the political right was able to stir up people. <laughs> like they're barely able to get them motivated to do certain <laughs> things that they should do. Nevertheless, get them stirred up enough to go and formulate uh, conventions, organizations, all off of something that doesn't exist, that isn't happening. So I, I find that, I, to me, I just find that intellectually dishonest. If you want to, if you want to argue that it's not quote unquote critical race theory because it's a you know it's a uh, law theory and blah 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 whatever fine but we know exactly what it is it's critical race practice it's, it's putting it into practice yeah. right and so when they say people on the right don't even know what critical race theory is they're not even talking to other people they're just talking amongst themselves and what I found to be interesting especially in the past two three years of realizing this, People on the right know what's happening on the left. It's not the other way around. Yes, I think you're right. Um, I was just laughing when when you were first saying you don't remember a time when people on the right were able to get to motivate people to be hysterical and to take action. I don't think that's happened since maybe the like focus on the family, like the the 80s, the the whole uh, Southern yeah. Baptist Convention. Like they had a lot of sway, cultural and political sway back then. But, mm-hmm. but that hasn't been the case for decades. Yeah. 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 I mean, even I was thinking 9-11, you know, in, in the wars, but even that, us getting involved in the wars was bipartisan. There was, you know, 
even in Congress, they were just like, go ahead. We want revenge in some form or fashion. You know, that was kind of the way that the American public initially was. So I don't even see that as a as a motivating factor for people to, uh, you know, on one political spectrum. That felt actually very bipartisan at the time. Um, so, I mean, I am glad in some ways that the right, I don't even, I don't, part of me doesn't even want to see the right. I am glad that common sense people are realizing what what's going on, even myself. Um, I'm glad common sense people are realizing what's going on and not just saying it'll change, right? They're, they're not stopping at going to the meetings and, and, you know, shaking their fist and then doing nothing afterwards. Mm -hmm. They're formulating strategies. They're coming up with something. They're coming up with campaigns. That's why, like, cr the critical race theory campaign to go against it and put that in the forefront was done on the on the right and the moderate right. Yes. The um, what was the other one? The grooming that was put out not in response. That was put out as an, an attack, and that was done from the moderate right. So you know all these things they're not in response like how it typically is. It's not the left on something then the right response, which most of the case it is. It's like hey, could you not do this? We don't like this. Hey, could you? Now it's us making claims, us making attacks, and they're refuting it. So we call them groomers. They're like, whoa, 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 we're not groomers. Yeah. Right? You they're know, not used to being on the defensive. They're not used to being on the defensive. Um, and, and who we're going after is, is anybody who is on the extreme left or who is empathetic to the extreme left. Yeah. Right? So when the extreme left has to answer questions, right, and then they're put in an un uncomfortable position because they're not used to being that. They're used to being, which initially started off, I like to start everything around George Floyd because that seems to be the most like significant time. There's Trump, Trump's election and then George Floyd. Yeah, both, both acceleration points, I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. But especially around George Floyd, that was the time period where systemic racism became, you know, common phrase lingo, uh, uh, I'm sorry, commonplace uh, phraseology within our culture, um, especially like in, in popular culture. And so that was their way of attacking society. And people are saying, wait, what? What, is it, what does this actually mean? And some people succumb to it and other people, uh, others were like, I don't know what that means. What do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. um, and so now time has gone on long enough to see that a lot of the same people who were throwing out attacks are full of shit. Um, they were lying. They were exaggerating things. Uh, you know, for example, George Floyd's situation was unfortunate, but it changes a little bit of the narrative when you see the police camp footage. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Jacob Blake. Same thing with... Uh, uh, you know, with the reports coming out from Michael Brown. So you, you start to analyze all these different situations and you start saying, I mean, th this is gray. Some of these things are kind of gray. You know, are they just using this as a political ploy to gain more leverage? And that's ultimately been, what's been my conclusion. Um, 
I'm to the point where I don't even examine the police shootings anymore because I think they're they're pointless. I think much of the issues that we talk about uh, surrounding race and especially like policing, these are local issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at a study, 40% of black Americans live in urban areas. 40%, not even majority. So the rest of them live in suburbs or rural areas, which means they're not experiencing city policing. City policing looks different than suburban policing. Mm-hmm. They're not experiencing the same type of scenarios. Not every black person is in an area where they're being stopped and frisked. Yeah. Right. You know, and it's it's situations like George Floyd in the Minneapolis Police Department. It sounds like there are legit issues going on with that police department. That's not America. That's one uh, city. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. You know, they try to I live in this small town in Texas. And BLM is now, there's, there's a couple of um, very opinionated white people here in my little town who are, are mm-hmm. pushing BLM. And they're always out of the town square. And they're boomer white ladies. And they're, <laughs> and they're trying to, in some ways, I think that that was one of the criticisms from some local residents, which is, why are you trying to take this event that happened in a different state and in a big city and say, we've got this problem in our small town too. Let's address it. It's like, it, it's not something that happened here, but it's, they, it's it sort of assumed that, oh, this is a, you know, well, not even assumed. They say this is a systemic problem. It's everywhere. We're going to address it here in this little town too. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know if that fits. Well, that's, and that's one of the things I'm trying to, uh, well, I need to get back to writing about my book. Ultimately, my book is going to be talking about saviorism, but there is a level of romance when it comes to having someone to save um, for some some people. So I think that there's saviorism is intoxicating for for different peoples of different mental mental um, mental viewpoints or, or how they behave. If you're a narcissist and you glam onto saviorism, you're going to approach it in a different way. You're going to attack it a different way. If you're highly empathetic and you attach yourself to saviorism, then you're going to approach it a separate way, right? But either way, you know, those are the two most common ones. People who are highly empathetic or people who are complete narcissists, they glam on to saviorism. And it's so intoxicating for them to believe that someone else needs to be saved, which is why, you know, you believe that... um, you know, putting a flag or blacking out your profile are just miniature steps towards saving someone or quote unquote, being on the right side of history or whatever you want to call it. These are all savior phrases. Um, and so I think, I think people need to understand that most of what we're seeing coming from the far left is, is saviorism manifesting and they don't realize it. When you yeah. say America, like it's almost like, uh, like text, reading text, you could type something and it just depends on how you read it. And you don't realize what connotation, which way they're saying it. But if someone writes a text that says America was built for white people if to benefit white people, <laughs> right? And you just read that text and you read it as someone who's woke, you're like, yeah, and th- this is how it is, and it's bad. 
And then someone else reads it and they're like, well, that sounds terrible. I don't agree with that. That sounds like something some skinhead would say, right? So they don't realize that they're using the same lingo and they truly believe. Yes. <laughs> that's the white supremacists. Right. They're the same what, things. Yeah. They're woke white supremacists and they don't even realize it. Totally. I have, um, uh, I've got to get my dog because there's a big storm and he's crying at the door. He's trying to get in. Let me just grab him. But I was going to ask you, since you mentioned your new book, would you mind telling anybody who's new, since this is a new channel, would you just tell them a little bit about your first book? Sure. I'll be right back. Uh, all right. Hello, audience. Uh, my first book is called Black Victim to Black Victor, the book that's right behind me. Um, it is a book about my, my childhood, uh, what it was like to grow up single parent home. Um, and the part of the reason why I talk about that is to highlight the number one issue that's facing black Americans, which is family. Um, uh, and, and even more specific, the lack of family planning, um, fam familial dysfunction. Um, but I also wanted to highlight that this is a human issue and it's a growing problem within the West. It's not specifically just black Americans who are experiencing this. Uh, it's growing for all demographics in the West. And so there are times where I'm talking about black Americans and there are times that I'm talking about people in general, Americans in general. And I wrote it in a way that anybody could read. Um, it's almost using black Americans as uh, like an example, like a case study in some ways. There are some things that are specific and some things that are kind of abstract which is why people from other countries who aren't black, who were able to read this and see something about their culture and say, oh, we have the same problem. I was like, exactly. Because this is a growing problem for all different types of demographics, even in different countries. So I think ultimately the book is about uh, a lot of different, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a lot of different, um, a bunch of different principles. That's the word I was looking for. So, you know, the importance of family, um, the importance of a mother and father, the nuclear family, um, asking certain questions in order to come up with truth and reality uh, and being honest. You know, the, the first chapter is called A Gap in Honesty because I don't feel like we're honest in our discussion when it comes to race. Uh, and I, sometimes I even hate saying that because that word honest is thrown around by the far left. It's like, we need to have an honest discussion about race, yeah. right? It's very condescending. Um, and I'm not trying to put it like that. I'm saying we need to be honest with reality that's uncomfortable, that is factual. Yeah. You, know, I, you know, I give statistics in some cases. I'm, I'm using hypotheticals. I'm like, does this make sense? You know, I'm asking these, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm asking particular questions, but I'm also trying to establish good faith for the rest of the book because I'm talking about certain things that are uncomfortable to kind of talk about that are kind of third rail. Like for example, feminism and black women. You're not allowed to really criticize black women or what's happening to them. But I think feminism is extremely detrimental I think we need to talk about it. If you care about black women, I think we need to talk about how the role of feminism and how 
a lot of black women don't even realize they're behaving like feminists. Yeah. They're just, you know, they're they're black women without the pink and purple hair, um, but they act the same way, use the same phrase, uh, use the same phrases. Some of them have the pink hair. Joy Reid, hers is more red. Oh yeah, <laughs> but she's also insane. So <laughs> <laughs> I have so. Uh, I just had a comment about what you said about the word honest and how they use it. I think they do that on purpose. I, yeah. I think they do that like a, like, like a, the way that narcissists do or, or um, individual, you know, dishonest individuals do is they take words and they claim them and they invert the meaning they use inversion. And, mm -hmm. and, and you know, like, like Justin Trudeau, that's the example I give a lot recently is when he called the truck drivers authoritarians and said that he was for freedom. I'm like, that's the exact opposite. And and so they try and lay claim to words so that then we feel uncomfortable using that that word to describe, you know, what we're talking about because they've already done it. And it becomes that Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man meme, you know, of like, yeah. no you, no you. But that's on per that's intentional. They are always saying honest conversations. There's a whole social justice group called courageous conversations. They have different chapters. There's one in my little town. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I, I'm in that group. There's no conversations happening there. It's one belief system, one orthodoxy. You don't get to disagree. It's like, you guys are yeah. freaking liars. There's no courage here and there's no conversation. <laughs> <laughs> they're, not, they're not even courageous. They're just, no, not at all. They're, they're scared and rhetorical. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put up just uh, a couple things from chat real quick. Cole said, yeah. if CRT isn't being taught in schools, then what's the big deal in banning it from the public classroom? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Sarah, hi, Sarah. I don't know if you're still here. Sarah Higdon says it is subversive, like oh. like a math problem that uses privilege as the basis of the statistic problems. Yes. Yeah. That's how it is. Also, uh, Matt asked, what is feminism in this context? So when I'm talking about feminism, I'm talking about what modern feminism looks like. Um, so the, the conversation especially today, it's never about women having choice or, or living the lives they want to live, right? So that's not, that's not the feminism that we're talking about. Feminism that I'm referring to is, it's fascinating in some ways. It's about domination. It's about domination in all roles uh, in relationships, dominating the man. Um, it's about workplace, that workplace is the place for domination and home is for submission. Um, and they use submission in a way that is negative, but, but submission is actually a voluntary act. Um, so everything is about taking a quote unquote higher role, a more masculine role. And that's the funny thing about feminism is that it discredits anything that is remotely traditionally feminine. Or, or female oriented and replace it to be like a man, the sex that they think is oppressive. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of funny, right? Right. It, it's, it's funny. Um, but this, this is how I know so many things are ideological is because if, if we're having a conversation in a half hour, we realize like, isn't that kind of contradicting of each other? It's like it didn't take much thought for us to kind of really think about it. 
It's like, huh, the same, same women who say women empowerment want us to behave like men because the men are oppressive, but they want us to be like the oppressive men. Like, how yes. does this make any sense? Yes, <laughs> because they, they are, again, so many of them, they don't, they're the ones who are aware what it really is. And those are the ones who, they just want to be the ones oppressing. They're, they're, mm -hmm. they're liars. They're acting in bad faith. And then there are the kind of the one, there are people in it in good faith who really sincerely believe they've bought into all the, the, the lies. And when you hit one of those contradictory things like that, it's, it's like their brain shuts off. Um, mm -hmm. They've done a great, a great job of just getting people to, to rewire the way their brains work so that they don't engage in thought. I was like that. I, somebody would hit me with a contradiction like that. And, and, and I would start relying on all the slogans and all the things that I'd been taught to say. And, and they really do give you different, um, different phrases to use to stop both stop you from thinking as an SJW mm -hmm. and to try and shut the other person up to end the conversation. So that's why you'll see them so often. They won't even engage with the contradictory thing you brought up. They'll just say, like, if you said that to me and I was in social justice, I'd, I would be like, well, of course, your male privilege would da da da. You know, you just yeah. throw out, you just throw out an ad hominem about, well, with your cis heteronormative yes. behavior. <laughs> I was like, yeah. All right. Yeah. Wait, actually, you just, you just brought up something that I just talked about saviors. Yeah. A raging narcissist or a highly empathetic person, and you fall under the highly empathetic person, right? You felt like women were being oppressive and you wanted to do some, uh, not oppressive, but you actually thought oppressed. the other one, you thought they were being oppressed and you wanted to do something about it. You were, you fell into, into the rhetoric from a place of good nature and you wanted to do something about it. The people who are feeding you this information are raging narcissists who keep everybody else in line. So they're the domineering ones of that ideological framework. Um, and they're the ones that are leading the charge. The yeah. ones who are able to come out of it can be the, uh, the people like yourself who are empathetic. Um, one thing I will say, oh, I'm sorry. Oh yeah, who are getting played by the yeah. way. And, 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 it's, and it's bad for you. It was bad for me. They, they taught me, it was sort of like <clears throat> the, the belief system says, hey, have you seen sexism anywhere? And you're like, well, yeah, I have. I, I've seen it a couple times maybe. And then they're like, well, that's everywhere. And you just don't know how to see it yet. You need to, it's systemic. The world is a sexist place. And so we need to start finding it everywhere. Here, put on these glasses. And now it's mm -hmm. going to help you find the sexism in every interaction. And then once they have you doing that, they're like, hey, you know how you learned to do that with sexism? And you're like, yeah. Okay, well, that's the same for uh, racism, and and you are actually the oppressor in this situation. Now, put on these glasses and start finding the racism in every situation, and how you yeah. contribute to it, and it, and it just builds from there. It's like it's for example, it reminds me of when I um, my first car was a nineteen ninety Chevy Cavalier, right? But I wasn't into cars at the time, so I really didn't know what a Cavalier was, right? And so I got the car from my father. It was like one of the few things my father ever did it for me. And then all of a sudden I noticed all the Cavaliers that were around me. Oh, yeah. Right? And so that's what happens with, um, it's like pattern recognition. And they're playing on your pattern recognition. 
see when they say this type of thing this particular way and then you look around and you see it you're like oh my god it's happening everywhere yes like, yes so they're, they're playing on your pattern recognition and then they're they're creating the dialogue they're creating the rhetoric they create everything around it um but i think it's it's much in the way like anything else like for example like a someone who's a, a, a gang a gang member right the lower level people are probably more, you know, ideological driven. But I don't think the person who's at the very top making all the money, he knows the truth. Yes. 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 He knows what's I, going on. I often compare it. There was one time I talked about it in this way. It's like, so in, in the ways that they do the mobbings too, it's very much like a gang because um, what will happen, this has happened in some of the cancel culture wars and in some of the knitting wars is, is they'll start piling on a person. They'll single a person out as an example and mm -hmm. say, this, this person is guilty of, of sexism or racism or, or what have you. And everybody needs to pile on. And sometimes the people who are surrounding that person, like their friends at first will defend them and say, no, you don't know my friend, you know, he's not a sexist or, or he's not a racist. And, but then as the mob continues, those people will be kind of pulled, some of them pulled out because they don't want to be the target because the, the, the mob will start coming after them too, unless they disavow. And so mm -hmm. then they come out, they say, oh, I guess I, I couldn't see it. I was blind. I'm sorry. Here's my <laughs> apology. I couldn't see it. Adam is a total sexist. I call it out. He needs to apologize. And so now once you've done that, it's still not good enough. Then they're it's like a gang. They, they initiate you. It's like, okay, it's not enough to say you disavow Adam. Now we need you to start getting in on the stabbing too. Like you need to start attacking yeah. him too. You know, yeah. they really, in some ways, it's like they hand you a pitchfork and, and like, okay, prove it, you know, go yeah. after someone. Yeah. I think there's, there's a good amount of, um, if you want to save their lives, you have to kill other people. <laughs> Yeah. You know, there's a, that's why I, I talked about, I think I tweeted something like, there are two different types of people. There are people who think Thor, not Thor, that Thor, uh, Thanos was right and Thanos was wrong, right? And it's kind of yeah. like that with the woke. You know, they, they want you to believe that in order to save everybody, we have to destroy everything. <laughs> yes, they do. They do. It's like uh, racism's bad, guys. Are we on board? Yes. Okay. Well, here's how we're going to fix it. We're going to be racist, uh, but we're going to call it anti-racist. <laughs> and then, you know, and and everyone's like going along with it. I, this whole like, as long as we give it another name, but, you know, we're, yeah, we're teaching kids to judge and, and treat one another differently on the basis of race, but it's it's for a good reason because we're trying to end racism. What? Like, how yeah. does that work? Uh, yeah. In, in order to be, uh, <laughs> in order to be, anti-homicide you must be <laughs> pro pro homicide to the right people <laughs> yes it's not a homicide it's anti-homicide yeah, yeah we're anti killing people but we're killing the right people <laughs> <laughs> we're killing the people who would be killers if we didn't yeah you know, it's, it's that's dexter <laughs> it's exactly dexter yes. oh my god America has turned into Dexter. All these yes. people are trying to legitimize, like, well, he's a good serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, 
<laughs> he's killing the serial killers, Adam. He's the good guy. Like, no, you're not. You're misunderstanding what's going on here. Yeah, I think there's a there's something in there. Some there's some kind of tweet in there. You gotta you gotta tease that one out, Adam. <laughs> Ibra, Ibram X. Kendi is the Dexter of woke ideology. I don't know something oh, like yeah. that. Um, Force Light is here. Hey guys. Hey. hey. How you doing? Hey ladies. Um, actually, I've been meaning to do this. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. I've been meaning to come up with a thread that shows how unoriginal these people are. Like, I I don't want to say this in a, in like a I'm the greatest thing ever, but I think I'm a pretty good writer. You are right? a good writer. Yeah. Thank you. Objective. People tell me that. So yeah, people tell me that. So I'll take that as a sign. Like I'm a pretty good writer. What offends me is woke writers. They're complete and utter trash writers. They are unoriginal. They're predictable. And so what I wanted to do was come up with a thread, like an article that was written by a leftist. And it will sound just like them because they're so unoriginal and they use the same things. And I, I wanted to deconstruct something that's benign and point to how ridiculous it is to say how it's rooted in white supremacy, right? Every okay. my, these people should be gardeners because everything is rooted in white supremacy in some way. <laughs> like that everything is rooted in something. Um, but I wanted to actually do that just to point out how terrible, how God awful these articles are. I can't, even someone who is in the woke ideology, like I can't imagine someone's reading this and saying, wow, this person's a really good writer. They're just like, yes, this is the doctrine. I agree with the doctrine. Like I, yeah. Uh, I can't stand it. I can't stand it at all. It's almost beyond uh, parody at this point because when I think you and I may have already talked about this, but when the the Chris Rock slap happened, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, it was next day clockwork. It was because <laughs> of white supremacy. Yes. <laughs> it's like once again, once again, they'll, um, they'll make they'll make some. That's why I say this is. It, it it works much like a conspiracy theory. You know, you find you find a grain of truth, and you connect dots that shouldn't be connected. You make exaggerating points, um, and you could do that with literally anything, and it's not logical whatsoever. Yeah, but you believe it, and pointing out that it's not logical um, doesn't help at all. So. Yeah. Somebody responded to this. Uh, so I did this this interview with these two parents mm -hmm. from um, from here in Texas, and about about critical race theory and sexual explicit materials in the classroom. And somebody over the weekend, there were a couple of people in there who obviously support CRT and stuff in the classroom, but they don't know how to make coherent arguments for it. And one of them just did what you said, like strung words together and they put it in a bulleted list. So, you know, it's real. They're like, number one, <laughs> critical race theory is in the constitution. Number two. <laughs> uh, yeah. <What? laughs> yes. Yes. Number two. Therefore, you cannot discuss the U.S. Constitution or U.S. history without discussing critical race theory. Number three, Republicans put critical race theory in the Constitution. And I was like, uh, number one, these are words you strung together with bullets. <laughs> number two, I can do bulleted <laughs> list too. <laughs> like, 
Oh my god. I've never heard that one. Critical race theory is in the constitution. Yeah. He didn't elaborate. Sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh um, my god. So Cole says Cole says he has a tweet from Elon he's gonna put up. Uh it looks like yeah. Elon may have just bought someone in chat was saying he just bought Twitter that this is not a troll. Um Anyway, Elon says, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that is what free speech means. Yeah, of course. That's a good, then, that's a good tweet. Yeah, thank you. And then the, the first guy, misinformation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all these people who scream about misinformation, were they on the internet 20 years ago? I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, like I remember chain emails, like all that stuff. Share this to 20 people or you'll get bad luck. Like, oh, yeah. where were these people who were worried for our democracy if you didn't, uh, you know, forward your email from your uncle? So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. Send this to eight people or my cousin will die. And yeah. Like, and you're like, delete. Fuck your cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Are you superstitious? Uh, let's put up Cole if you have it. I sent you a tweet that this is the only thing I saw in the news this weekend because I didn't have a lot of time. Uh, this is a, <laughs> I just, this, these kind of things fascinate me. So scroll up just a second so I can read what he said. This is from Trudeau in Canada. Justin Trudeau, blue check. And he says, uh, uh, presumably he's writing this public, this is to his wife. He says, your energy, your humor, your love, there's nothing like it. Happy birthday, mon amour, je t'aime. And, okay, so first of all, the text of what he wrote, I said, well, it's pretty nice. I think he has, he like, sometimes, I, I do think he is a, a narcissist, and I think he might also be a sociopath. That's just my personal opinion. I cannot mm -hmm. diagnose anyone. Uh, and sometimes these people are really good at pretending to be human. And he mm -hmm. got the he got the words right. There's nothing wrong with those words. I think they're beautiful. He got it right. He nailed it. But then the picture, the picture, he did he didn't get it right. This is a human wouldn't do this. It's 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 look at it. It's him and his wife in a padded room on swings, and they're both wearing masks. And if can you zoom into their faces because their faces are super creepy. I, I just who immortalizes. Uh, masks in this way in this romantic staged photo with a photographer right and they're like <laughs> you know what would be a good idea let's get on some swings in a padded room and put masks on and look at each other lovingly over the masks i don't know you may I, not have anything to add to this but i i it, <sighs> he he comes off all right so i have like two reactions uh one this reminds me of like uh all right actually i'll say this if he wasn't if he wasn't who he is and he was just some guy i'd be like why did you let your woman talk you into this <laughs> <laughs> um, except he probably talked her into this knowing what that's, we know about him. that's exactly yes that's exactly like his, his publicist and him got together so i know this place you could take this picture um I'm just not, I'm not a fan of taking planned photos to show love and romance. It seems yes. unnatural and, and regular people do this too. Um, my, my now wife, she wanted to kill me because 
she could not get me to take a planned picture for our um, for our, our engagement photos. Right? Oh, like how people do like the engagement photo shoots with a photographer. Yeah, because I'm like laughing because I'm like, I can't take this seriously. She's like, Adam, could you just I'm like, I can't because this this is unnatural, right? Yeah. Let us let us be somewhere we're hanging out, we're laughing, and someone takes a picture. Right, right. I like, get it. I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Well, what if you what if you did one of the planned photo shoots, but you uh had added some humor and wore costumes and stuff? <laughs> Not that. It's it's I'm, you know, I could be, it could be just me, but I'm just, I'm weird when it comes to taking pictures. You know, I don't mind taking pictures if it's like, hey, we'll never see these people again. Let's take a group picture. Uh, you know, I'm out and about, we take a picture, but like, you know, planned, choreographed photos to, you know, I'm, I'm not much of a fan of it. Yeah. Um, no, I, I know a lot that. of women are. No, I understand that. I haven't done a plan. I haven't done an engagement photo shoot or if we are lucky enough to um, have a baby, I don't think I, I don't think I would do one of those baby bump photo shoots either. Although I've seen people do them and I think they're beautiful. I think the photos are beautiful. I want to see, I want to see your pictures. You can send them to me. Uh, but I think, I think if I did one though, it would be, it have to be a fun, it would have to be a costume one where it's like, we're going to go, do a flash mob in some place and get dressed up and have fun and let's bring a mm -hmm. photographer with us. It could be <laughs> but we're yeah, not going to wear masks so. on swings. Yeah, th that part is just, it's just, I don't know. It, it, to me, because of his position, he's trying to show that, you know, masks are a sign of strength. Uh, or, or wear your mask, everybody. He's trying to keep with the with the narrative, but as soon as the photo shoot's over, he's taking it off. Yeah, that's, that's so, so, so somebody said in the comments, they were like, oh, you know that he, they probably, he and his wife sleep in those masks. And I'm like, no, they don't. That's what makes this creepier. They don't sleep in them. They don't even wear them except when the cameras are on. You know that, you know yeah. that. It's We've actually seen it. We've seen yeah. it when, when, when these type of people think the camera is off, <laughs> they take yeah. it right off. You take it right off. Like, that That's sociopathic. Yeah. Like you're, you're putting on a literal mask to fool people <laughs> and a figurative mask. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's what we've, that's the, that's the savior mindset. Yeah. Um, I've got one other thing that Cole wanted us to, to talk about. It's an article of about a Boulder, Colorado resident. I didn't see this in the news. I don't know if you did. Um, Cole, can you put this one up and we'll just read through it. Did you hear about this, Adam? Boulder Columbia activist dies uh, after. So anybody who's just listening, it says Boulder climate activist dies after apparent act of protest outside the U S Supreme court on earth day. So this is a guy who uh, set himself on fire. Uh, on oh, the Supreme that's court. how he died. <laughs> I was like, how did he die? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Scroll down. I, I didn't hear about this. This is something I missed. Um, self self immolation i guess um make it a little bigger excuse me the boulder man who set himself on fire in front of the u.s supreme court on earth day apparently acted in protest of inaction on climate change when bruce 50 years old a climate activist died saturday a day after his actions in front of the nation's highest court in washington dc he was airlifted for treatment but did not survive 
Um, this woman who described herself as Bruce's friend and a Zen Buddhist priest in Boulder said on Twitter that his actions were a planned protest. Quote, this is a deeply fearless act of compassion to bring attention to climate crisis, she said in a tweet. I don't need to read anything else. I don't think that's a fearless act of compassion. I, d I don't. I don't either. See, usually it's usually there's a there's a protest of something imminent. Um, uh, what's the there's the famous one? Uh, I think it was also a Buddhist who set himself on fire, but I believe it was something that was imminent. It was something that was currently happening at that very moment. And the thing about the whole climate change thing. Well, listen. I guess I guess if you're if you're that driven and you're that much in that world, you think every day is a ticking, you know, it's ticking down until the bomb goes off. Um, and so, yeah, maybe every day for that person thinks it's imminent. But I don't know. I, I think that I was actually thinking about this recently. I think there are links. There are like three links that are kind of together. I don't know about this particular guy, but I think in general, when we talk about the climate activists, there's the climate activists, there's the pro-abortion movement, and there is, I would even go as far as saying like the the vegans, right? Okay, yeah. The Peter people. Yeah. Maybe a little less the vegans. I'm still trying to think it through, but definitely the, the pro-abortion and the climate change. There's an anti-human movement that's going on, and it's definitely strange. Um, it's weird in a way because it places humans at, at fault for whatever catastrophe is about to happen uh, for the climate change. While de in some ways their solutions are dehumanizing yeah. because they're saying what depopulation and all these other things that would ultimately mean the death of many people, um, you know, get rid of fossil fuels immediately, which would result into the death of people. So as much as they talk about being compassionate for people, the reality is that they don't really care about people. They want the planet to be saved. And that's a different, that's a different thing. It's one thing to say, uh, you know, the, the planet's going to end and we'll die because the planet ends, but they're, they don't really go into that second part. They say the planet is going to die. We're going to have a climate catastrophe and it's all about what's going to happen to the planet rather than what's going to happen to us. Yeah. I think you're onto something. And I actually, I've started to think that it's, um, I think they have, a, some of them have a deep seated resentment at the state of being which is something Jordan Peterson talks about. And mm -hmm. I heard him talk about once when he was, he was uh, for a while researching and reading about the Columbine killers, the, 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 the Columbine high school shooting and the diaries of, of the two shooters. And I had read through all those too. There are these things called the basement tapes that you can go and find online and you can find their diaries. And, and that sparked my interest when I heard him talking about that, because I was fascinated or by trying to understand what motivated them as well. And one of the things he talked about is um, this, he says, you know, some people have, we can be overcome by a resentment at the state of being, of life itself, our own life, 
And if, if that resentment, if you let that resentment get so big, then you become resentful towards everyone's, everyone's state of being. And he was sort of saying, that's where some of these mass shooters are at. They come to this place where, you know, the Columbine killers wanted to take out as many people as possible with, they wanted to die and they wanted other people to die. And, and, and I'm not saying that people who are in these movements are mass shooters. Of course not. I I can't believe I have to make things like that clear these days, but I think, (laughs) but I think the darkness is the same. The resentment is the same. Some of the biggest, uh, I would say wokest, most limousine liberal types of, of people that I, I have known in my life, this is just anecdotal, but they're also some of the most deeply hateful and resentful people and will openly tell you how much they hate people and hate other people. And yet they're super pro environment, super pro animal. They're always donating their time and volunteering at Austin Pets Alive. They're, they're very much into protecting animals, which is a great thing, but, but it, it, it's this, these two things coexist within them and they have a deep hatred of, of human beings um, in that particular social circle I'm thinking of, there have been three people who have killed themselves in the past four years by hanging, um, which tells me, again, there's something there about resenting life, resent, you know, resenting the state of being. And I don't know. Anyway, I, I, I'm all this to say, I think you're onto something. And I don't think that a lot of people who are super into the environment or super into animal rights causes uh, and, and super pro-abortion, I don't, I think they're very openly hate, hateful towards humanity, towards the state yeah. of being. They're trying to disguise it in these positive things. Well, but I do like animals, so and I do like the environment, so you know. So I'm I'm going to say the uncomfortable thing. I think for a good amount of these people, it stems from their childhood. It stems from think of it like you have parents. Your art actually. Your parents are supposed to be the first people you can trust. And what if your parents um, break that trust? What if they hurt you? What if they abuse you? So that's your, that's like your first situation where you, you say the people I'm supposed to trust the most, let me down, hurt me, whatever. My parents are a representation of, you know, it sometimes it turns into your father is abusive. So you think, men are just like your father. You know, that's where, honestly, a lot of feminists, I think, are are trauma victims. Um, you know, feminism just becomes the application that they can they can channel their anger. But they're, they're, they're survivors of trauma of some sort, especially sexual trauma, right? So it makes sense to me if you see someone who's a victim of being raped, mm-hmm. glam on to, to feminism because it says you were raped because men are this. It's not just this person, it's it's all of them. Now imagine both your parents or your home life or whatever may be surrounding your parents was not ideal in your head or for whatever reason, your parents represent humanity. And so that's why it's extremely important for parents to try to model the best behavior that they can for their children. Otherwise they grow up feeling a level of resentment and they channel that to something. And so, you know, one thing I've noticed, like I have a dog, you know, animals are cool, but I wouldn't place my dog above myself. I wouldn't place any dog above any other human being. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. doesn't mean I want dogs to die or anything like that, 
but I understand there's a hierarchy of importance. But for I've noticed that there are people who say stuff like, um, animals are so much better than humans. Mm -hmm. And I know where that comes from. It comes from a place of pain. It doesn't come from a place of like, I love, and sometimes they're honest with you. That's the interesting thing. When, when you pay attention to people, they'll tell you the truth sometimes. Yeah. And they'll say, oh, animals don't hurt you. Yeah. Right? And they mean emotionally hurt you, right? Because someone hurt them. And so they turn towards an animal, like a dog or a cat, which won't talk back and will always seemingly love you, will always want to cuddle with you, will always show you affection because the human that you depended on for that whether it be your parents, whether it be a spouse or someone who disappointed you, you can't rely off of people. You can't rely off of humans. Sometimes, you know, if, if it's a woman, she'll say, you can't rely on men to, to be there emotionally for you because they'll lie and cheat on you just like yeah. the cheating bastard husband. You know, it just yeah. turns into this whole thing. But I've, I've literally seen these women who are divorcees who get a dog and they literally just die alone. And yeah. they put all, they put everything into that dog. Everything, everything. into the animal, yeah. yeah. And they know there's a shelf life on that dog, right? Yeah. They know it's a relatively short shelf life. You're in your 50s. You, your dog has five more years to go. What are you going to do after that? Yeah. You know, so it's, it's very depressing when you think about it. But I think a lot of it stems from people's childhood. They become very negative about humanity. Um, and it, and, I, I, in some ways, I understand why, but it doesn't mean it's good. It's not good. I, I agree. I'm going to do a couple of these super chats, sir. There's a couple about you. Let's see. Joel Valdez gives us a super sticker. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going in reverse order, so apologies. Matthew Hammond says, you should talk with Cassandra Fairbanks McDonald. She has gone into a deep dive into Columbine and was a former animal rights activist. I really like Cassandra uh, we've talked online before, but yeah, I haven't interviewed her yet. I do want to. Thank you for the suggestion. I will make a note. She's also big into monkeys now, and I used to study monkeys, so we could probably talk about that. This one is not a super chat, but I'm putting it up there. Chicken Lady Five Arts. Hello, lady. She says, I love Adam's voice. Why, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you have a nice, you have a very nice voice. Thank you. Let's see what else there was. I'm not quite Clifton Duncan, but you're up, you're up there with Clifton and uh, Missy Chris and who's the other guy we had on recently who had a great voice. You guys in chat might remember. Okay, here we go. TPS, thank you, sir. Says trying to be a man is a waste of a woman. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> That's in quotes. I wonder who's who said that. And uh, I think I got them all. Am I missing one? Cole, if I'm missing one, just put it on the screen. Um, sorry, I'm trying to scroll all the way back. Thank you guys for being patient. Oh, here we go. Matthew Hammond, you should get Lauren uh, on Twitch. She was known as some bitch I know on Twitter before being banned for reporting on 2020 voting shenanigans. Thank you, sir. I think that's all. Okay. We're, we're caught up. Thanks. <laughs> um, Adam, I, I didn't have a lot else I wanted to discuss today. So I think we'll wrap it up soon, if that's cool. 
you want to plug where you're at, where people can find you? Um, I'm heavy on Twitter these days. Um, so you can follow me at wrong underscore speak. Um, so you can read my thought provoking and sometimes very sarcastic and funny uh, comments. Uh, today, my favorite was uh, some guy on Facebook who was like, hey, he sends me a shirt, a picture with him in a shirt, and then another picture without a shirt. Uh, and he's clearly in his 50s. Uh -huh. uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what made him think I'd be interested in that, but he sent it anyways. Um, so I thought that was funny. Facebook is weird. I, I don't know if you've noticed, like, Facebook is filled with scammers. Uh, <laughs> I think it's different for men because you guys get a lot of uh, like women who are sort of like fake profiles or lead you back to some sexting app or something, right? Well, I get a I I get guys, and so oh. you know what's you know it's it's actually funny because I've caught on to what they're doing. So like a lot of the people that follow me or follow a lot of people I'm friends with are overt like Trump supporters and stuff like that. And so what they'll do is they'll have like four or five posts being like anti-Biden. And then you keep scrolling and then you see like that profile used to be someone else. Like it used to be some guy in Africa who for, who got lazy and just didn't change his pictures. Uh <laughs> okay. Um, so you, you get a lot of stuff like that. Um I have I get a recently, lot of Africans. I've gotten a lot of Africans <laughs> recently. That's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, why is that? Oh, it's the scams. They're, they're just trying to pull scams. Um, yeah. You know, they're like, actually, here's a did tell. If someone starts a sentence with am, like am, and it's not like, because we only do that in very few situations, we start a, a sentence with am. But I've noticed that Africans start a lot of sentences with am. That's a dead giveaway because that's not how Americans speak English. Oh, okay. So, um, like, say, like for example, they say, "I'm happy to meet you." Yes. Like, we wouldn't say that. We say, "I'm happy you know to why? meet you." You know why? Because in Swahili, you can drop the. So if I say like, um, uh, uh, "Nina taka chakula," that's Swahili mm -hmm. for "I want food." But ni, the ni part of Nina Taka is is I. They they drop it casually. So that's very formal to say Nina Taka, I want. They they'll just say Nataka, Nataka, I which is just want. And mm -hmm. and and so that's why they're do that's why when they're speaking English, it makes sense, I think, probably to drop the I part. Yeah. That's like just say, am happy to meet you, want food. Instead of I, I want food. I am happy. Wow, yeah. that's cool. Um, um, oh, but also I have some I have some articles coming out soon. I got one in the Federalist that's coming out shortly, talking about Johnny Depp. Um, but it's talking about Johnny Depp, but more so on uh, women physically assaulting men. Um, so I think that's something that it's worth a conversation. Um, and I should have one coming out in Life News soon, okay. talking about abortion, um, abortion and rape, um, which is a very touchy subject. Yeah. So I've just been Adam, writing a lot. You are a great writer. You're doing great work. You're very Thank you. You have a great work ethic. I see you're always 
putting out thought-provoking pieces. And you also run Wrong Speak for anybody who's interested. Um, yep. So you guys should go and check out Adam. Thank you for being here. I just have a, a couple of an announcements. So I am moving. Finally, finally, we're we're get we are moving, moving this week. So there's not going to be a live pop culture on Wednesday night, just so you guys know. Um, there is going to be a Thursday interview that I've already done. We're going to be releasing it Thursday at the regular time. With this one is with Ryan Cannell. So Thursday at six o'clock Texas time will be the deprogrammed interview with Ryan from RK Outposts. And then on Friday, I am going to be on Friday Night Tights if you guys want to hang out. Um, also, what else? What was the other thing? Oh, the school board thing that I mentioned before. The In in the Grapevine Colleyville District, if you're in Texas or if you know people in Texas, early voting for school board started today and it's running through May 7th. And there's a video that we put out over the weekend where I got to talk to some parents there. Go watch the video, share it with anybody you know in Texas. We want to get these two people elected and get the Wokies out. So I'm I don't I'm not embarrassed by of saying I have a position on it. That I know. Go watch the video. And and hello to to your puppy, Bella. Hello. Ah, Somebody's just trying to kiss me. Somebody said that today was dog feffy break. <laughs> dogs always welcome adam i hope you have a wonderful rest of your day you as well thank you for having me on cool thanks guys peace peace Bye. Bye.